For people are looking for hope. You are the hope. You are life. You are joy. You are peace. You are everything that they need, Lord God, that we will be the vessels that are willing to serve and to do what you ask us to do, Lord God, that we will be, be, be obedient to your word. For you are worthy, Lord God. You are worthy that we act worthy of the calling to which you have called us, Lord God. And I pray, Lord God, now also, Father, for people here today who are sick, who need healing, Lord God. I pray for healing in their bodies and restoration. For you are almighty God. You are the healer, Lord God. You promised us in Psalm 103 that you heal all of our diseases and we cling to the promises of your word. We raise your name high that you are glorified in this place and we praise you and worship you, almighty God, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, last time Weston did that, he got married. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. God's good. As we've been uh, working our way through Romans, we've come to a, kind of a unique spot. where We're talking about the practices of the righteousness of God. What does uh, the life look like? who's following the Lord. And the Word lays out for us as we, as we look. We saw in the beginning that dedication we see in a, in a life lived out for God. Remember in, in Romans 12 it said, uh, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's dedication. And then the, the rest of chapter 12 tells us about the love of God and that that love of God that ought to be seen in our life and the description of that love. And, and the one main point in that in the respect of love was that love would be without hypocrisy it's not faking it remember the idea of of what's happening inside your life becoming visible on the outside that i really am who i am in christ and i'm not trying to hide not trying to pretend but i am letting what christ is doing on the inside show on the outside let love be without hypocrisy and then last week we talked about the, the life dedicated to the Lord and, and what it looks like in terms of the law of God. And it was, it was a rough one to swallow, right? He's talking to us about, about making ourselves, uh, uh, obey all the ordinances and uh, governments and, and to support those things by paying our taxes. That was a lot of fun, right? As we were working our way through that, I told you I was going to get letters and you're right. I did. So there was, there was the idea that God's word teaches you. Your argument is not with me, it's with him. So he lays those things out. But then he tells us, how, how is it that we fulfill that law? And then he, he told us the fulfillment is love is the fulfillment of the law. Because love will not offend his neighbor. Love will not take advantage of another. And love will fulfill the law. All the law and the prophets are fulfilled in this one thing. Love. And so that's how we fulfill it. But there's a fourth point to the law, the, to, to our relationship to that law, to the reason why we walk and, and obey that, and that is our salvation in Jesus Christ. It means that we change. Before Jesus, I would not care all that stuff. You write a law down, you just, that's something to break. But after Jesus, I look at those things different. That my salvation with Christ 
has done some radical things in my life, changing me in radical ways. And so Paul, as he talks about that salvation, and he's looking still toward our relationship to following the precepts that God lays out for us, he he now says in in, uh, chapter 13, verse 11, and do this. Do these things that we've been talking about. Don't just hear them. Don't just listen to them and say, oh man, I wish I could do that. No, he says, do this. And, And to emphasize the do this, look what he says, do this knowing the time. That word for time in the Greek, it's not the Greek chronos. That word for time means there's something special about this time. There's something important about this time. This time, this time is, is something specific. In fact, from the resurrection of Christ to today until we see Jesus face to face, the Bible calls the time that we're in the last days. There's a reason why it does that. Somewhere along the way, as people were studying the Word of God and they, they came to a concept in, in 1 Thessalonians that we call the rapture of the church, somewhere in, in all the, the teaching and preaching and, and movies, which by the way are lousy, and uh, <laughs> concepts that have, been, that have been laid out, we have really lost the point. And we start to believe the hype. The hype, some people would say the hype of the rapture is escape. So this morning I want to tell you that the hype of the rapture is not escape. The hype of the rapture is be ready. Totally different. And do this knowing the time. What do we know about this time? Look, the Bible's very clear, and I don't care how many doctorates somebody has after their name. Uh, there's only one view of the rapture. It's the one the Bible teaches. And, uh, you know, that view is that Jesus Christ can come at any time. So it don't have to fit in your theology or mine. In fact, if you go through Paul's writings, and we'll have a moment to look through a few in a second, you're going to see Paul use a pronoun in his writings when he's talking about the return of Christ and he's looking for that return and that pronoun is we eagerly wait for the return of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means in Paul's day he was looking for Jesus' return, right? So if Jesus can't return until some specific event takes place, then that wouldn't be so. The doctrine is called the doctrine of imminence. And the doctrine of imminence is not there to say to people, like, like some people would purport, that, well, you guys are all looking for Jesus to come to save you from all the dumb stuff you've done, all the bills that you got to pay, and all the rough days at work, and all that stuff, and that, that's just not the case. Hey, when Jesus comes, you guys know that's judgment day for you, right? So, Paul's point here in Romans 13 is that you're ready knowing the time that you're not doing a bunch of dumb stuff that Jesus has to rescue you from that you're living your life on fire for Christ that you are who you say you are that when you stand before him you will not be ashamed there's no reset button on that day Paul taught it in almost every epistle that he writes That we should be watching and ready 
for the time. He said, do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time. I mean, that means there's no time tomorrow. It's nothing that we can put off, that we can say, you know, I need to wait until later. He says, no, now it's high time. The Bible says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. In, in biblical concepts, when we look at these kind of things, the Bible very clearly teaches there, there is no tomorrow. The worst thing we can ever tell ourselves is, oh, I got time, I'll think about that later. I'll deal with that later. Yeah, I know God's Word wants me to affect some changes in my life, but, but I'll, after the holidays, tomorrow, the next time. You know, he says, know the time. It's a special time. The last days, a time frame in which God calls us to live looking for Jesus every day. In fact, Jesus told a parable about it. And in the parable that Jesus told, he said, A servant believed that his master, who had gone away, was delaying his coming. And while he should have been ready, this is Jackie paraphrase, while he should have been ready for the return of his master, instead he lived his life in drunkenness and in partying and in doing all kinds of things because he was sure his master wasn't coming. And then the parable, the conclusion is, and what did his master find when he came? What did he find? Someone not. Ready. Man, God's word calls us to be ready. Oh, look, I don't want to underemphasize grace, and I don't want to underemphasize forgiveness, nor do I want to underemphasize that we have a responsibility to the one who gave his all for us. Our lives should be different. If you really believe what you believe is really real, your life changes. If it doesn't, the question is, do you really believe? Do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. That word for sleep carries with it the idea of being lax or lazy. High time to awake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Man, that's that's kind of a crazy concept, isn't it? What's the point that he's driving home? Tomorrow your salvation will be yet closer. The day after that your salvation will be yet closer, but... But when we look at salvation, what do we know about salvation? Salvation, the word salvation is covered in three different tenses in the Bible. Past, present, future. It's done that way because we've studied it already in Romans, right? What happened? We were broken. Jesus offered Himself for our sins by faith, receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We are justified. We have been saved. Then Jesus Christ goes into our life. He brings that holiness of Himself into us and begins to work inside out to change us from the inside out. That is called sanctification. So not only have we been saved, we are being saved right now. And then the third tense we saw in 
in Romans chapter 8 that we will be saved, glorified, on the day that Jesus Christ appears. And he's talking there about the day when Jesus Christ calls his church home. The timing to me is irrelevant. You guys can argue about that all you want. I'm just telling you it's imminent. You figure it out. If it can be tomorrow, there's only one view that works. The coming of Jesus Christ is imminent. For what's the purpose? Is the purpose to tell me to go charge up a bunch of bills and, and make up a bunch of debt so I can escape paying my bills? Or so I can escape persecution? What is the point? The point is, if I know Jesus Christ is coming tomorrow, my life will be lived different. And He wants us to live our lives that way every single day. Weston prayed that men would, would lead their family. And a lot of men are waiting. I'm not sure what they're waiting for. But if Jesus was coming back tomorrow, I can guarantee you our attitudes and our self-righteousness and our lack of compassion and our hardness of heart, we better deal with it now. Then wait for the day when Jesus is standing before us. And i got to look into His eyes and answer the question. For every man will. How did you lead your family? How did you show them the love of Christ? How did you comfort your wife? How did you treat her? She's my gift to you. Every man. Every woman. Every child. Will have that moment before their king. In light that that moment can happen. At any time. How should we live? He's already told us about being fully dedicated, living a life of a living sacrifice. He'd already told us about living a life that where, where love has transformed us so that the inside reality of Jesus Christ living in me is, is coming out and people can see Jesus in the way I live and the way I talk and the way I, I do the things I do. And they can start to see that love of Christ coming through by the way I obey the laws that are around me and the way I deal with the disappointments in, uh, in government and the way I deal with all the things everybody else has to deal with because I'm letting the, the light of Jesus Christ shine through my life. It is high time to wake up. Somewhere along the line, the church, it all got about something else. It got to be about this, this huge focus on, on prophecy and you don't want to be left behind. Look, I don't, nobody wants to be left behind, but listen, that's not the point. The point's not to be left behind. Don't be left behind. That's not the point. The point is, live your life for Christ now. Don't wait. Don't wait. Well, what happens if I wait? Serious? If you're asking yourself that question, thump yourself in the head right now. Well, what if I wait? How about you just don't? Well, Dad, what happens if I put my hand in the fire? I'm going to call you dumb. Get your hand out of the fire, Johnny. Which hand, Daddy? Which hand? It shouldn't make any difference. What if I don't? How about 
we just don't go there. How about you just do? How about you just live who you are instead of trying to fake everybody out into thinking, oh, I'm a believer if you're not. If you're not a believer, do us a favor and stop telling people you are. If you are a believer, do us a favor and start living like you are. High time to pick a side. Very clearly, the side you're going to stand on. It is high time to wake up. Here's what he says in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's look. Paul writing in Ephesians 5, verses 8 through 14. This very similar uh, uh, sections of scripture. Let's look at it. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of the light. Sometimes we, we, uh, we, we treat this stuff too gingerly. So once upon a time, you were dark. Evil, bad, broken, whatever word you want to put there. But you're not that anymore. Now you're light. So do what? Walk like children of the light. Be who you are. Be who you say you are. Be, let the change of Jesus Christ come forth out of your life. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Isn't he calling us to live a different life? Right now, one of the biggest complaints of the world is that the church looks just like me. Why would I want to change? They watch the same movies I watch, read the same books I read, do the same things I do, say the same words I say, act the same way I do. They don't think any more about marriage than I do. They don't think any more about the things they say they think about. So why should I care about that? It is high time to wake up and to be who God is calling us to be. The line is drawn. It's time to choose sides. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, awake you who sleep. Arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. What is the call? What is it that Paul's saying? He's saying it's time to wake up. It's time to stop laying around on the ground like we're dead. And get up and live, live the life that Christ has called us to. He didn't call us to die. He didn't say, I I beseech you therefore, brethren, to die on the altar as a sacrifice. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Choosing to die is, is great and it should be honored. But just so you know, it's a whole lot harder to live. It's a whole lot harder to just say, you know, I'm going to live this life. I'm going to live what Christ is doing and how He's working in me. In 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, beginning at verse 1, here's what Paul says. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Again, that's that same word for time. This is a special time, not a particular time like like Christmas time or three o'clock in the afternoon. This is a, this is a special time, a season. He says, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief of the night, the thief in the night. For when, what's the pronoun? They. they. Pay attention to pronouns. It helps you from making a lot of mistakes. When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon, what's the pronoun? 
them as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But, word of contrast, pronoun changes to you. So this is different. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you like a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep. What's he saying? Wake up. Wake. It's time to be who we're supposed to be. He says, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. Let us watch for what? What are we looking for? Depending on what channel you turn on, we're looking for the Antichrist. I could give a rip who the Antichrist is. I don't care if I ever know who he is. Who cares? I know who Jesus Christ is. I'm looking for him. The Antichrist does not matter. I don't care. It's, it's, when I was a kid, it was Kissinger. I just remember everybody dad up his name and come up with 666. It's Kissinger. Well, that's going to be a problem pretty soon if it isn't already. Is he still alive? That, that could be a problem. No. People always constantly looking, trying to figure it out. People spending time in, 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 the, in the Bible trying to, to figure out 666. What does 666? Whose name is it? Figure it out. It says figure it out. It's the number of man. It's the number of man. It doesn't take a genius. Six is not seven. Seven is what? Perfect. Perfect. So, 666 is, by Hebrew reckoning, as imperfect as you can get. It is the number of man. Man is imperfect, broken, sideways, and in need of a Savior. And whoever fulfills the role of the little horn or the Antichrist is, is irrelevant. And you don't get no special points when you get to heaven and, and God's got a tally sheet up there. And He says, oh, who'd you say it was? Oh, you were right. He's not going to ask you. Did you know who he was? Did you know where he came from? Did you know? He's not going to ask you. You know what he's going to ask? Just one thing. I gave you my son. What would you do with him? Amen. I gave you new life. Did you live it? That's what he's going to ask. And he says, it's high time to wake up. To be who we're supposed to be. To live the things we're talking about in Romans 12, 13, 14, and 15. To have the attitudes that we're supposed to have by, by allowing the, the living Word and the living Christ and the living Spirit within us to be seen. To be real. Being real. I don't mean by being real being uh, as filthy as you can because when you go home from church you just act like a knucklehead. I don't know whoever defined real as that ain't real. That's being stupid. I'm not saying be stupid. I'm saying be real. If you have Jesus Christ in your heart, being real is, I can see Jesus coming out. That's what being real is. Everything else, everything else, not something to brag about. We want to be real. We want to allow that to flow through our life. In, in 1 Thessalonians 5 again, he says... Let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. 
But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. You recognize that's future tense, right? The hope of salvation. The hope of a coming salvation. What salvation is he talking about? You're already justified and sanctified if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. What hope is the thing that protects your mind? That protects you from thinking there's lots of time. That protects you from thinking, I just do whatever I want to do. It's no big deal. He'll forgive me. God has to forgive me. What will protect you from all that? If you're looking for Jesus every day. The hope every morning that the clouds will part and there he'll be. That changes how I live. I could care less about escape. I hope persecution comes. It always purifies the church. I'm not trying to run from any of that. I just want to look for him. I don't want to look for an antichrist. I don't want to look for persecution. I don't want to look for starving. I don't want to prepare for all that nonsense. Everybody wants to... Prepare, be prepared, look, be prepared for an earthquake, have water. Be prepared, have a little bit of food in the pantry. What are you going to do if you have six years worth of food and the world ends and everybody's hungry? What are you going to do? Sit in your front yard with a shotgun and shoot anybody who comes for food? And then what when Jesus comes? I did good, God. I got six or seven of them that were trying to get my food. Man. Man, if you got, we got a pile of food in the pantry. Always a pile of food. And should it happen where there's no food, I'm going to give it away. So I would suggest getting here first because everybody else already knows. <laughs> I'm going to give it away. I'm going to tell people about Jesus Christ. I'm going to, because the only thing he told us to do is not to be. Not to make sure you're full, not to make sure you have everything you need. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. If we spend as much time doing that as we did building basements and bomb shelters and filling up our storehouses with food, you want to do that? Go ahead, do it. I hope you're doing it to, to help people and to give it away because that's the attitude of Christ. He said, if a man asks for your, your cloak, give him your shirt also. If he bids you go with him one mile, go with him two. What does that mean? Give it away. That's the heart of Christ. I hope it's okay to do all of that stuff if that's the heart. The heart is, man, I'm going to have opportunity for people to come, for me to feed them, for me to tell them about Jesus Christ and give them some hope. The hope of salvation. And at any moment, at any day, he could return. And when he does, I want him to find me being who he's asked me to be. I don't want him to find some excuse. I was waiting till tomorrow. I want him to find me ready. The helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that's future tense. Who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, that we would live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you are also doing. Encourage each other. Man, Jesus could come back today. The point is not that I get away from everything else. The point is that I'm ready, that I'm living my life, that I'm being the man that God's asking me to be. First Peter 4, 7 says, but the end of all things is at hand. That was written like 2,000 years ago. The end of everything is at hand. That's the time. Know the time. Everything can wrap up any day. 
If you're older, you already know that. Every breath we get is a gift. There's no guarantee my heart keeps working, especially as fat as I am in in another day or two. I have a heart attack any moment. And you ever seen them energy drinks I pour down my gullet? It could happen at any time. So, so I might die tonight. And if I do, the end of all things is at hand. Jesus Christ could come this afternoon. And if He does, the end of all things is at hand. The whole point is this is a call for spiritual alertness. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. Be sober. Be watching. Be watching. Be looking for Jesus. Be waiting and longing and reaching to Him. In Second Peter... Chapter 3, beginning at verse 11, he says, Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? He just talked about the fact that the earth will burn up and melt with fervent heat. So in light that everything in life is going to burn, in light that everything is eventually going to end, in light that when everything ends, you are going to stand before God, how should you live? It's the point that he's making. How shall we live? This is what he says. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Looking for and hastening. That's a pretty interesting concept, isn't it? Looking for, I can get my head around. Okay, I'm looking for, I'm looking for Christ. Looking for Him every day. Looking for His kingdom. Looking for opportunities to spend my life into His kingdom. How do I hasten it? Well, some would say that the Bible declares to us, Paul writes to us, that there is something called the time of the Gentiles. And that the time of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. And when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled, when that last person joins the church, when that last soul is saved, Jesus comes. Not when we put the last jar of green beans on the shelf. Not when we, you know, made some killer jerky and we got it all stacked up. No, it's not what it says. It says when when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. When perhaps when that last person is saved. Well, doesn't that feel the Great Commission? What are we supposed to be doing? Sharing our faith with people, sharing who Jesus Christ in my life. If I do that, you know, if, if everyone in the church does that, if everyone in the church just leads one person a year, that, I'm not being too crazy. If everyone in the church just leads one person to Christ in one year, you will radically transform your world. Radically. Just one a year. It's not one a week, it's not one a day. That's doable. That's doable. One person. That's what Jesus wants us to do. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to His promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot, blameless. So looking for Jesus, looking for His return, longing for Him to come, live your life. Live your life. Be real, be true, be who you are. In verse 17 of 2 Peter 3, it says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware. 
lest you fall from your own steadfastness and being led away with the error of the wicked, but grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To Him be glory now and forever. Amen. He gives us a warning. That's not Paul. That's Peter. Paul was a few verses before. Oh, you know what? It's not just Paul and Peter that talk about this. You remember the one they called the beloved? That's John. 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Yeah, we're children of God. Therefore the world does not know us because it didn't know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, yet future, when we see Him face to face. But we know that when He is revealed, when He comes, we will be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope, the helmet of the hope of salvation, everyone who has this hope in Him purifies Himself just as He is pure. Everyone who has this hope lives his life for Christ, his life is going to be pure. He's not going to have to try all these things and work so hard at it because he really believes that what he believes is really real. And that impels him, compels him to be looking for Jesus' return every day. And that changes the way he lives and his focus on what he does and the things that he's about. So and do this, he says, knowing the time. It is high time to awaken. The first thing he tells us, wake up. The second thing he tells us, clean up. Yeah, look at 12. Romans 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. Let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day and in revelry, uh, at, not in revelry and drunkenness nor in lewdness and lust, nor in safety and envy. So we have the necessity of applying what we believe, of cleaning up. How, how does a cleanup happen? I'm looking for the return of Christ. He tells us three, let us. There's three things he said, let us, let us, let us. We're going to do those three things. And we're not going to do three couplets of evil. We're going to watch out for those three couplets of evil in our life. And we're going to do the let us. So what's he say? What's the first one? The first one is to resist the devil's pressure. He says, cast off the works of the darkness. There's a definite article in the Greek. Cast off the works of darkness. In Ephesians 5, we looked at it before, 11 through 14. Have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Darkness is always given in in distinction, contradistinction to light. The light is where we want to stand, and darkness is where where we were, where we, what we were before we came to Christ. So once we came to Christ, man, let us cast off the works of darkness. Get rid of them. Throw them away. Let us cast them off. Cast off the devil's pressure, his temptations, those things that he puts in our life to pull us away from Christ. He says, cast them off. Cast them off. Submit to God. Submit to God. Let God work. Let God move. Let God be 
who he wants to be and resist the devil. And he will what? Flee. Don't just resist the devil. You missed the first part. Submit to God. Then resist the devil and he will flee. Submit to him. The second, let us. Let us rely on the Lord's protection. What's he say? Let us put on the armor of light. Over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Paul uses a concept of putting on. Put on Christ. Put on the armor of God. Put on the armor of light. The idea is what happens when we put on our clothes. We put on our clothes in the morning and our clothes go with us everywhere we go. They're a part of us wherever we are. If we crawl down into something or we're doing something, our clothes are with us. They're covering us. They define us in a lot of ways. So he says, put on the armor of light. Think about it. Put on Christ. He's going to tell us at the end of the chapter. We want to put on. We want to rely on God's protection. We want to wear God's clothes. Ephesians 6.11 says, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. Manny, he wants us to put on. So we want to cast off. Let us cast off all that junk. Let us put on Jesus Christ. Put on the armor of God. And let us walk honestly. That's what it says in the King James. I love it. In the New King James it says, let us walk properly. Let us walk properly. The concept between let us walk, peripateo, is a manner of life. That It's not just how you walk down the road, but it's the way you live your life. Let us live our life Honestly, best definition, honestly, what's that mean? That that seed of salvation, Jesus Christ, that's in your heart, that, that by whom you have been born again, that new life that is in you, then walk honestly with that new life coming out. Walk honestly. If you believe what you believe is really real, it changes everything. Let what's on the inside come out. Let us walk properly. Refuse to live our life like the world, like unbelievers. Refuse to stand in line with those things and be a part of all that stuff. Not to snub our nose at somebody else, but just to say, that stuff's unfruitful. It's not getting me where I want to go. I want to look to Jesus Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of my faith. I want to look toward Him. I want to walk toward Him. I want to be about Him and His work and His purpose. This word for honestly is in the Bible three times. This time it's, it's properly or honestly in 1 Corinthians 14.40. It says, let all things be done decently and in order. Same word. Decently. That, that's the word for that I said is honest. Real. 1 Thessalonians 4.12 says that you may walk properly. Same word. Honestly. That what's on the inside is allowed to, to shine out. And if it's not there, then all you have to do to receive that is to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and it will be there. Except a man be born again, he will not inherit the kingdom of God. Doesn't matter how good you are. If you don't have it in you, you don't have it to shine. But if you have it in you, then let's be honest. 
Let's be real. Let's be who we are. And then we have the three couplets, the three things we want to stay away from. Two of them are things you should expect. First, deals with intemperance. Intemperance, not in revelry or drunkenness. Not in revelry or drunkenness. Revelry just carries the idea of a party. Party lifestyle. Revelry, riotous living, um, drunken parties, the idea. uh, In King James, I think they they put in uh, uh, orgies. The idea is simply of wanton, base drunkenness. Both words in the couplet are related to each other. So he said, earlier he told us, when people party, when people get drunk, when do they do it? They do it at night. Well, you're not of the night, you're of the day. Cast off the unfruitful works of darkness and walk like children of the light. Be who God's asking you to be. So we want to stay away from intemperance. That that you just try to satisfy all your fleshly desires. Man, that's, that's going to lead you to chaos. Peter says it like this in 1 Peter 4, 3. We have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. When we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Man, I look at my life before Christ. I, I, I grew up in the church, and I and uh, I didn't die then, so I can't tell you if I was saved or not. All I know is when I was 17... For like something like the next 15 years, from 17 to 30-something, I did every wrong thing on earth you could do. If, if someone told me God was to the right, I went left as hard as I could. And I spent enough time doing that. And occasionally, kids want to talk about stuff, and they say, they'll, they'll say this to me. It, it, it's, it's mind-boggling. They'll say, you already had all your fun. Are you on crack? <laughs> I already had all my fun. Man. Uh, getting diagnosed with HIV was a drag. You know, it wasn't a big party. Every drunk has a hangover. Sin has pleasure for a moment. But its wages never changed. Still death. Well, if I do it that way, Jackie, I won't have a testimony. Oh. <laughs> For God's sake. So we messed that all up, man. We think testimony is, is telling people about all the garbage we did and then Jesus changed us. You don't need all the garbage. You just need the Jesus changed us part. That's it. I spent enough time doing that. I don't want to give the devil another minute. I want to cast off all of those things. I'll cast off the intemperance. The next thing he talks about is impurity. In that little couplet, those two phrases, not in lewdness and lust. In your King James Version, it may say chambering and wantonness. We, we spend so much time translating the Bible to make it so... So clean, because we're afraid, I guess, somebody's going to know what you're talking about. That you look at this word and you think, lewdness, oh, I don't know. 
The Greek word is koite. It means sex. The same thing is translated in Hebrews 13.4. The wedding bed is undefiled. You guys know what he's talking about there, don't you? The word bed is koite. He's talking about a sexual relationship in marriage is blessed and anointed of God. A sexual relationship anywhere else is not. It's, it's, it's period. He's talking about sexual sin. Not in lewdness. We say lewdness. You go, oh, we cleaned it up. It's all Bible speak now. We, we so, it's so Bible speak, we're not sure what it means. It's sexual immorality. All sex outside of marriage. Wantonness or lust is an unbridled passion. Uncontrolled passion. Sexual desires. He says, get rid of that impurity. God's not talking about in marriage. He told us in Hebrews that marriage, that's where it belongs. He's talking about what the devil does. He takes something good of God and he distorts it and he jacks it up and he tweaks it. And then he sells it to everybody saying, hey man, this is great. You should do this. I bought the lie. I bought the lie. By the way, it's a lie. Every time that happens, you lose part of you. Every time that happens, you lose part. Every time you sleep with somebody. I don't care if they meant something or not. You gave something away. A part of you. Part of your soul. God said that that relationship, that giving and taking was designed in marriage so it would unite you. And the two shall become one. But the devil said, I know how to screw a bunch of people up. Let's just have them cut pieces of themselves and give them away. So you don't got nothing to give. Makes you empty. It ain't God keeping you from fun. It's God trying to show you the way to greatest blessing. To God's perfect plan. But the third one, the third couplet we want to look at as we wind up today is intolerance. He says, not in strife and envy. Wow. You know, I was expecting the sexual sin part and, 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 and the, the, the normal sins that we've been talking about. But now he says, not in strife and envy. He puts that right in there as the, the, the work of darkness. Pretty much everybody in the church go, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, this is dark and that's dark. But, but envy? Strife. Well, let me define those things for you so it makes a little bit more sense. How about hostility or tension in personal relationships in the church? Oh. Those are works of darkness? Yeah. You know, when you just can't stand a part of the body. Or you just can't stand that person for whom Christ died. By the way, all of that comes down to one of the, the seven things that God hates. It's pride. And I don't care if it's pride because you're poor and you can't stand rich people or the other way around. doesn't make any difference. It's still pride. He says, cast these things off. Get rid of it. Get rid of intolerance. Being intolerant. Not like the world does it. Get rid of intolerance with people. Having hostility toward them just because of who they are. Or envy of them because of what they got. 
cast all of those things off because we want to allow the Spirit of God to work and move through us. If we're going to allow the Spirit of God to work through us, in Galatians 5.25 says, If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, or envying one another. If what you believe is real, is really real, then it changes how you live. And if the Spirit of God is in you, then let Him out for the love of God. Stop trying to be like the world and start trying to be like Jesus. Because He's coming back. And when He comes back, I want to be found trying. I might not ever be who I'm supposed to be. But it it will not be for a lack of effort. I will not make the excuse, well, God doesn't really care what we do or what we don't do. If He doesn't care what we do or don't do, why is that everywhere in the Bible? Because He cares. And the one way He knew to motivate us was to say, live every day like I'm coming. You know, when when my grandkids know that, that Nana is coming... They don't care too much about Papa yet. I get that a lot. You know, most people, they say, Jackie, we want you guys to come over. And if I say, well, Kathy can't come. Oh, that's okay then. (laughs) So if Nana's coming, if they know Nana's coming, them grandkids are sitting on the couch, looking out the window, waiting every car that goes by the street. Is that one? Is that grandma's driving our son and his wife crazy? They're longing for her return. That's how we're supposed to be looking for Christ. On the couch, out the window, longing for His return. Because we are so enamored with Him, who He is. Not His gifts, not His good stuff, just Him. Just want Him. We look and, and long for Him, and that's how we'll live our lives. And Romans thirteen fourteen says this, the last thing. But, we get rid of all that stuff, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put them on, like your clothes. Put them on. He's with you wherever you go. And make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Put on Christ and make no provision. That word provision... Is poeto, poeto, to make provoya. The idea is to not make plans with your flesh. You ever done that? You know, that desire that you ought not to have. When that desire rules, you start to make plans. And when you start to make plans, that's what the Bible's talking about. You're making provision. Don't make provision for the flesh. Don't give the flesh nothing. Don't give the flesh. Now in Galatians, we're given this example. Abraham had two sons. One son was an example of the Spirit. One was an example of the flesh. The son that was an example of the Spirit, his name was Isaac. The son that was an example of the flesh, his name Ishmael. The time came when God told Abraham to send Ishmael away. He's the product of your flesh. Now, don't get wrapped up around it. God still had plans for Ishmael. This has nothing to do with him. This is picture. 
typology. So God said to Abraham, you give your flesh to me. Okay. So Abraham did. Abraham had millions of dollars. Millions and millions of dollars, tons of money, everything he could ever want. He had, he had it all. What did he give Ishmael when he sent him out? One canteen of water. Make no provision for the flesh. In Ishmael's case, God took care of Ishmael. Which is what God wanted to do, so Ishmael would be with him. You may find out, we, we talk about Ishmael and Isaac and the war that's still going on today. We may get to heaven and find out Ishmael's there. Uh, Hagar called God the one who sees. The God who sees. He sees me when I call out, when, I'm, when I've been cast out. He sees me and he's here for me. We'll see. No provision, no plans. No plans for the flesh. Here's what John says. 1 John chapter 2. Wrap it up. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Jesus is coming soon. Be ready. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. (laughs) Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you and we just ask that you would meet us in this place. Lord, we give you praise. Thanks. Glory, God, for the work that you are doing in our life. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that we would come to understand the point and the purpose of all these things that we talked about. That God, when we talk about the rapture, we're not looking at a getaway. We're looking at a reason to live each day full out for you. Because when you come, I want to be found doing. But we don't really, it's no big deal. I don't, Jesus come or he don't come. I'm just going to live my life and do my thing. And there's no urgency. And there's no watchfulness. And there's no expectancy. And we slowly drift off to sleep. You call us, God, to wake up, to clean up, and to grow up. To be the men and women you're asking us to be. You have already given us everything we need. Everything we need is in Christ Jesus. Everything we need to be the the father or the husband. Everything we need to be to be the child of God. Everything we need to be to be a, a wife or a mother. Anything that is necessary that you've called us to. You've already given us everything we need to fulfill it. To be it. So you lay out these scriptures throughout the word of God saying watch and pray. Be sober and vigilant. Be diligent. The master is coming. God, I pray that we would adopt the doctrine of imminency. Today might be the day we see you. That you, Lord God, you, Lord Jesus, are the chief of the corner. 
Everything in life is built off of you and from you. And if you are living inside of me, then you want to break forth in my life. I pray, Lord Jesus, that the that ability to motivate myself for change would be found looking for you. Looking for you every day, every moment, every minute. Looking to please you. Looking to love you. Looking to be like you. That you, Lord God Almighty, would be glorified. That you would be magnified in everything we do. So, Lord, we lift this time to you. God, we give you praise for it. We pray that your spirit would work in our lives. That we would not leave this place still deceived. But, Lord, we would leave this place encouraged and excited about what happens if we live our life looking for you. For it is high time to wake up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.